Lord, we just thank you that you're with us every day. Lord, we pray that by your spirit we can continue to see and hear and understand these things that are from the heavens. Help us now, Lord, speak as as the oracles of God to encourage the saints to bring refreshment to our spirit and to cause us to see your face more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Clark asked me to share this morning at the, uh, at the main meeting, so I'm looking forward to that this morning. And, and I'll be sharing this morning out there on how to study the scriptures. And um, I think it's going to be really cool. I pray that God will help me speak uh, clearly about some things I've learned about what God has taught me about how to study the scriptures and, um, and the whole thing about the, the Bible and the scriptures. And I think, it, um, I think it could really help a lot of people, you know, some stumbling blocks that people have in reading the scriptures that keep them from seeing Christ in the scriptures. I think it's going to be hopefully, hopefully helpful to a lot of people. So usually I share a little bit here what I share out what I'm going to share out there but this time I'm not going to do that because I've, I've noticed that when I share in here what I share out there I end up you know blowing the whole wad here and then I go out there and then I feel like I think I've already shared that and I leave out things out there that I should say you know so anyway so I'm going to just hold the gun ready cocked to shoot out there and uh and just and then share a whole different thought in here this morning. So, okay, the thought is this. Most people, if you ask them, what is the will of God? You know, what is the will of God? If you think of that question, what is the will of God? And when I ask that, I'm thinking, what is the ultimate will? What is the primary will? What is the number one will of God? And a lot of people, I think, on the street and even in the church would say something like this. They would say, well, the will of God is... You know, he wants us to, to, to do good, not to sin. He wants us to do the right thing. And he wants us to, um, you know, he wants us to be pleasing to him by doing the right thing and, and doing good. And, you know, God wants us to, uh, to obey him. And he wants us to, that's his will. You know, he wants us to, to do good that he, we would be accepted of him and be, he'd be pleased with us and so forth. And I think most people would say that's the general, you know, will of God. God is, a, God is really into, you know, us behaving and, and, you know, and doing right and so forth. And that is, if you ask a Jewish person under the old covenant, um, you know, what the will of God was, that's pretty much what the answer would be, you know, fear God, keep his commandments, um, for this is the whole duty of man, for God shall bring everything into judgment whether it be good, whether it be evil, you know, the whole concept of the will of God is really all about doing good and not doing evil and in order to be accepted of him and be, be pleasing to him, et cetera, et cetera. And that is the, at the forefront, I'm afraid, of a lot of believers, a lot of Christians. That's at the forefront of their mind when they hear the phrase, the will of God. But Paul tells us that his will was a mystery. Ephesians says that there was a will, the will of God, the mystery of his will is, is his exact phrase. In Ephesians, the mystery of his will has now been revealed in Christ. 
and it is not like men suppose. Let's look at that real quick. Um, well, first let me look at this. Let's, Acts chapter 22. Acts 22 verse 14. This is when Paul in Acts 22 is talking to his Jewish brothers and he's describing what happened on the road to Emmaus. I'm not Emmaus, but to Damascus when he was when he had that revelation of Jesus himself and the Lord revealed himself to him on the road to Damascus. And Paul was describing to his Jewish brothers, you know, what, what happened in that event. You know, what, what made him change from this, this uh, zealot for the, for the law of God and for the Ten Commandments and for the Torah. What happened to him that made him change from that to someone who was saying that law or that law is the, is the letter of death. And something new has come that brings righteousness apart from the law. Awesome. Fighting words, you know. Jerusalem is in bondage under that law. But Jerusalem above is free. And that's my mother, Paul said. Fighting words to the Jew. I mean, what, what happened to Paul to make him change his view of, of life and reality? And, and so he's describing this to his brothers, the Jewish brothers. And he says in verse, this is chapter 22 of Acts and he says in um, verse, let's see, let's see, verse 11, I guess. Acts 22, verse 11, he's, we can start there. He says, but since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, this is the revelation of Christ on the road, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. So this is after the event, and he's, he's being led by the hand to go all the way to Damascus He's been blinded by this, the light of God in this event on, at, this, at this time. And he says, And a certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I looked up at him. And he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will. Get that, to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Awesome. So Paul is saying there, you've been chosen, or Ananias is saying to Paul, Paul is repeating this to his Jewish brothers, this is what happened, that Ananias told me that I have been called of God to know his will, to hear, or rather see, see the righteous one, and hear an utterance from his mouth, to know his will, to see him, and to hear him, to know his will. Now, let's look at Ephesians. We're looking, at, we're looking this morning at what the will of God is. What the will of God is, and it's not as men suppose. We were talking about earlier, a minute ago about how, you know, most 
people, if you ask them what the will of God is, they would say in a general way that it's, you know, it's to do good and not do evil and to be ex- so, that, so that we might be accepted of him and, and um, you know, fear God, keep his commandments, etc., etc. But Paul tells us that the will of God was a mystery, hidden. His will was a mystery. And on the road to Damascus, Ananias tells Paul, you have been chosen to know his will, this will that was secret. It was a secret will, a mystery, a hidden truth. The will of God, the, the ultimate essence of his will was hidden and not known until Christ came. And Paul says, now the mystery of his will has been made known. Let's look at this. This is so cool. Ephesians chapter 1. And when you think about this, saints, think about this now. We're talking about the ultimate will of God. Let that sink in because what we're talking about is this is God's number one desire. This is his will above all wills. And we can seek to do his, his will in other areas and miss, if we miss this one will, then all that we do for him counts for nothing. For all our righteousnesses but filthy rags. So all our doing without understanding this one will, that's how important this is. Isn't that awesome? And yet knowing this one will brings complete rest and enjoyment of God and of life and of everything. It's awesome. So this is key. This is like, this is the... Number one, will of God. This is the number one desire of God. And Paul says it was a mystery not revealed until Christ came. And uh, Ananias told Paul, you've been chosen to know this will, Paul, and to preach it. Here we go. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be, this is uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Look at, start at verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3 in Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will to the praise and the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Oh, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him, in Christ. Okay, now let's look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, please. (laughs) P. 
Peter says this about Jesus. I think it's so cool. He says, Peter says that Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. I love that phrase in Peter. I think it's chapter 1, verse 21, I think. But Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. So when you read this in Ephesians, how we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, it's not that God is saying, I chose certain people before the foundation of the world. It is he knew his son before the foundation of the world. And so anyone who believes in him, all who believe in him, can be said to be those that he chose in him before the foundation of the world because he predetermined and predestined us human beings to be sons. The predestination is not to an individual. It is to a status. The predestination is that he predestined that we would be, that the human race of Adam, that the race of Adam would be adopted by God and be made holy and blameless in him who was known before the foundation of the world. Therefore, all who believe are considered chosen in him for many are called, but few are chosen because many, the many are called, but few believe. So those who believe out of the many that are called are chosen of God because of their faith. Your faith has made you whole and therefore considered chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Predestined as sons from the beginning of time, God never intended us to try to work and be righteous enough to be adopted by him, but that we would be made holy and blameless by him through Christ adopted as a son. Isn't that awesome? The mystery of his will. Okay, look, let's look at it really Let's look at it more closely here in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. For the law, Hebrews 10 verse 1, for the law, since it has, no, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, which means that old covenant of law showed all kinds of shadows of what was coming, but not the very essence and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. Awesome verse. Once we've been cleansed, we should no longer have any consciousness of guilt or condemnation. We still know what sin is. We know when we sin, when we don't sin. We know what flesh is, we know what spirit is. But when we really see the finished work of Christ, there should no longer be any consciousness of of ourselves as sinners. Once the worshipers are cleansed, no more sacrifices, no more consciousness of sins. Awesome. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. The very fact that the law was set up, that you had to get forgiveness on a daily basis and even a yearly basis, the purpose of that was to remind people that they were sinners. The new covenant is about a sacrifice that is made once for all people, for all sin, for all time, Hebrews says, so that we cease to remember our sins and begin and continue to remember him. And that's exactly what he said. Do this in remembrance of me. Forget your sins, but remember me. For my body was broken for your sins, and my blood was shed for your sins. For the complete forgiveness of your sins, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus reversed 
the, oh, the whole power of remembrance from the old covenant of a remembrance of sins, daily remembering I'm a sinner and I have sinned. He totally wrecked that because of his one sacrifice for all sin, for all people, for all time. It says, now remember me because it's done. Sin cannot be imputed if you're in me. Sin is not imputed if you're in me. In fact, my very righteousness is imputed. Remember me. Verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Those sacrifices merely covered sins so God could dwell among his people because he looked forward to the work of his Christ, the work of his son. So he set up this law, this sacrifice, this temple, this priesthood so that God could dwell among his people. And they followed that sacrifice and that priesthood and that temple to the letter. All of it was law. It was all law. None of it was of faith. It was all law because they had law to do. They had the pegs in the temple had to be done by a certain way. The, vest, the, the vestments of the priests had to be done a certain way. It was commandments. It was ordinances. It was a lamb for this and a dove for this. It was all law. It was all a picture. Faith was not revealed, Galatians says, until Christ came. It was all law. But it was a shadow of the good thing to come. But faith was not revealed, Galatians says, until Christ came. They didn't do it in faith. They did it by obedience to law. The whole thing was law. But he set it up, such, he set it up in such a way where what they were doing by law, by ordinance and commandments, was, a, was painting a picture for them. So that one day they would see, oh my God, he, he is the lamb. He has fulfilled all things. And then the transition from law to grace, from works to faith. Awesome. Verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, speaking of the Christ, sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, behold, I have come. In the roll of the book it is written of me. In the scriptures it is written of me. To do thy will, O God. Verse 8. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. Verse 10. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus the Christ once for all. That is the will of God. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. If there be any other way, let this cup pass. But not my will, but your will be done. Look at this, saints. This is so awesome. Verse 11. And every priest stands daily, ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. And I can say there in verse 11, I can reword that phrase and say, and every believer in Jesus these days, almost every believer, stands daily, confessing his sins time after time, 
to try to get sins removed and cleansed again and again, which confession itself can never take away sins. It's the same, it's old covenant. It's the whole mindset is old covenant. Verse 12, but he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Who are his enemies? Those who deny his work. Those who seek righteousness apart from his work, resting in what he did. Those are his enemies. Those who oppose his sitting down. That's what it is. He sat down until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14. For by one offering, not many, but one, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Awesome. Paul was given revelation to know his will and to preach it. Now let's look at Acts real quick and we'll wrap it up for this morning. Let's look at Acts, uh, let's see, 26, I believe. Yeah, 26, Acts 26. Acts 26. Let's start with verse 13. Well, let's go 12, verse 12. Acts 26, verse 12. While thus engaged, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest, at midday, O king, he's talking to the Roman ruler, describing what happened, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me. That's awesome. It's like one of those UFO scenes, you know, where the UFO comes down, the light shines. It's kind of like that. It's like this unbelievable light all around him, brighter than, brighter than the sun. Unbelievable. The other realm opened up. And those who were, with, those who were journeying with me, too, the light enveloped them, too, all of them. The heavens opened. And, and when we had all fallen to the ground, power of God, they just hit the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you or reveal to you, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to light, from the domain or dominion of Satan to God, in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. 
Awesome. The will of God, sanctified by simple faith in him, that they might have their eyes open to what God has done, that they may receive the forgiveness of their sins and this inheritance, that they might be transferred from the dominion of Satan to the dominion of God, transferred to another kingdom, another realm in this act of creation, new creation and spiritual new birth, that they may know that it's all because of simple faith in me. And he stops right there. He ends it right there. Faith in me. The will of my father. The will of my father is that I offer myself up. Sacrifices and burnt offerings he had no desire for. Only covering sin, but not taking them away. Because God's desire was for men to stop seeing their nakedness. And stop running away and hiding and sowing fig leaves and running in shame. God wanted that to stop. He wanted them to come boldly to him. He wanted to adopt them as his sons, give them an inheritance, make them holy, blameless, because of what his son would do if they would just believe on him. This is the mystery of his will now revealed. In the volume of the book, it is written of me, Jesus said, to do thy will. I have come to do thy will. By this will, the will to come and die, prepare a body that I may offer the body. This will, by this will, we are sanctified. Awesome. And that is the will of God. They asked Jesus, they said, what, is, what are the works of God that we might do the works of God? I mean, what is his will? What, what does he want us to do? And Jesus said, this is, the will, this is the work of God. He wants you to believe on him who he has sent. That's it. That's the will of my Father. Revealed now in Christ. So now, someone asks you, what's the will of God? You can say, The will of God, God, we're talking here, the will of God is that I believe on his son, that I might be completely made holy and adopted by him forever. Freedom. Freedom. Rest. And out of that one will comes understanding in all the will of God as we walk in his love and understand the little details of life. As Hebrews says to those Hebrews that were under a lot of persecution, he said, hang in there because having done the will of God, having done the will of God, Be patient. He who said will come is coming. The writer of the Hebrews wrote to them as if they had done the will of God. They are finished. They were finished doing the will of God too. Having done. Why? Because he had believed on his son. And he was writing to the Hebrews saying, now having done the will of God, you can rest. You've done it. You've done it. 
Quit worrying about what the will of God is for my life. Oh, what is the, am I in the will? Am I out of the will? The Hebrews writer is saying, you've done it. You've done the will of God. You are the personification of the will of God on earth as a son and daughter of God, holy and blameless. Be patient now because he who said is coming will come. And all that is invisible will be made visible as we eagerly await his coming. But you see the rest in that? There's nothing left to do but to patiently (coughs) believe until the end and occupy while we are here spreading the word as witnesses and loving and encouraging each other in the faith. Awesome. So cool. The will of God is awesome. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see what your will is. Your true will is not like men suppose. Thank you, Father. Thank you for helping us see the simplicity of your work. How simple, yet how profound. We no longer remember sins. We remember you, Lord, who died for our sins. And we have done the will of God because we have believed on the Son. He who is coming will surely come. And he who is our life, when he is revealed, we too shall be revealed. For our life is hidden with Christ in God. And we are not of this earth, not of this world. But the sons and daughters shall be manifested when he comes. For all of creation groans. All of creation groans with tornadoes and floods and earthquakes and tsunamis. The whole creation groans for the manifestation of the sons of God, for the coming of the bridegroom. The whole creation groans for the new earth. Birth pangs for a new world is coming. Birth pangs, a new earth, a new world to be manifested. And the sons shall be revealed when he is revealed. In glory. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.